What a polite young man she was. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Pie Factory Podcast. Huzzah! Huzzah. So, this is, uh, what, take number three, four of uh, episode 127 of Pie Factory Podcast? Oh, this is definitely episode 127 of Pie Factory Podcast, that's for sure. In the previous uh, recording, we had a kerfuffle about that, but it uh, turns out I was wrong yet again. But uh, yeah, we had a hard time getting this episode off the ground, let me tell you. <laughs> so You want to hear about hard times? Wait till we reach out to our um, underwriter for today. Oh, gosh. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got, a, <laughs> we got a new sponsor every episode now. It's uh, well, underwriter. quite uh, refreshing to have a... Well, true. If it was a sponsor, it's, we'd actually still, have money. Yeah, that's true. But... Uh, it is refreshing to have a different underwriter for each episode, oh, you sure. know, to keep things fresh, yeah. you know. But uh, once again, this is uh, getting over uh, nasty case of bronchitis, Jimmy G. And this is getting over tech support for my mother's laptop, Sean. Ugh. Yeah, I was visiting her and she kind of very subtly snuck it up upon me while I was there. So it's like, ugh. That's what parents do. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, my dad was never into technology, so I was the the, the I think the the last tech support thing I did for my dad was he said, "Hey, I I need to show you something. I just need to show you what happened." And he brought me out a cassette tape, in which the <laughs> the tape itself was kind of drooping out. I said, "Dad, all you do is you take the reel and you go like this, and it's back." Stop. Pencil time. Yeah, exactly. And so you know what I did? What did you did? I got him the CD version of that tape for Christmas feeling not nothing more than oh no feeling feelings was a 45 rpm on rca records oh i thought he had the whole album no no did morris albert actually have an album's worth of material probably theoretically i don't know uh no i'm curious oh god no Yes, this is the Wikipedia podcast. And for those of you not wise enough to listen to Autobiography of a Schnook, uh, back in the late 70s, my dad played the he hell. He had an album called Feelings. Oh, goodness. I wonder if the song Feelings is on it. But yeah, my dad played the hell out of that song. It was, You know, I was going to say probably not, but then I was thinking uh, about my favorite band, King's X. They had an album called um, Out of the Silent Planet. But the song Out of the Silent Planet was on the next album. (laughs) Well, it's like Culture Club. They had an album called Color by Numbers, but the song Color by Numbers wasn't on it. It was just a single. There you go. At least in America. (laughs) It might have been on on the album in the UK. I don't know, but I don't think it was. And kind of like how The Doors had a song called Waiting for the Sun, but the song was not on the Waiting for the Sun album. It was on the next Mm -hmm. album, Hard Rock Cafe slash Morrison Hotel. Oh, Speaking of King's X, oh. um, <clears throat> the guitarist has a new album coming out the uh, 1st of March, so throw that out there. Resonant Ping, uh, if I had uh, a bell with me. Ping. So, have you been playing anything lately, Sean? <laughs> I've been playing The Fool. But um, let me tell you something there, James the G. Oh, I finally, finally spent some quality time with my Collector Vision Phoenix. Oh? Which just solidifies my um, assertion that I'm not going to be selling it. And uh, sorry, Air Shack, it stays with me. And um, I was having a lot of fun with it. I finally figured out how to load Atari 2600 games. But of course, as soon as I figured it out, I didn't actually uh-huh. play any Atari 2600 games on it. I was like, oh, okay, now I know how to do it. Oh, let's play this ColecoVision game. 
I remember soon after I received my collector vision with the uh, with the Ed Ladin uh, CV uh, controller that um, one of the first things I did was pull up uh, Chopper Command and uh, ah. live streamed me uh, maxing out the score on that game again. I had to yeah, come back since I remember I was a that. Teen. All right, now so you have that. That was fun. Now the you have the Ed Ladin uh, CV controller. Does it have an on off switch yeah. on it, like a power booster switch? No. Okay, because what I have does, um, I know this isn't available anymore. I don't remember if it's discontinued or Ed just hasn't made any recently, but I have the uh, Seagull CV adapter, which uh-huh. has the ColecoVision keypad on it. Oh, I forgot about that. And you can plug just about any 8-bit controller into it. There are ports for uh, ColecoVision, mm-hmm. ColecoVision Flashback, two separate ports, by the way. Uh, 2600 and 7800 and Sega Master System Genesis? slash Genesis. I have that, and I was using that with my Phoenix, and I found that I could not enter the setup menu or the core select menu. You're supposed to press hmm. um, the... It's, it's, uh, the asterisk, I believe. Yeah. Or is, it the, or is it the pound? It's one of those two. Yeah, the uh, asterisk... I, th- I think the asterisk is the core select and pound is the setup or vice versa. But neither of them was, I was like, what the hell's going on? Is it, I, I was like looking all over the place, making sure all my connections were there. Oh no, is my mm-hmm. port bad or something? No, the other tests show that they worked. Turns out that this was not known, but this is out there for anybody who has one of these Seagull CV thingies. You got to turn the power boost switch on before ah. you boot that thing. If you want to use either of those configuration options, either the setup menu or the core select menu. Yeah, no, that's not. There's no power boost on the uh, the controller okay. I have, and it's it's got all four buttons that were on the um, Super Action controller, so I huh. can play Super Action games on this if I wanted to. Okay, and, nice. Um, have you tried? Every year, Pixel Boy releases like a bunch of ROMs for Christmas, right? And uh, not this last year, but the year before, they released uh, a homebrew version of Gauntlet. Oh, really? For the ColecoVision. Yeah, I don't think I have any other um, stuff. This, it's uh, it's for the ColecoVision with the uh, Super Game Module adapter that uh, Collector Vision made. Holy cow, that is a really good version of Gauntlet. I'll have to check uh, it the out. The fact that it's on the ColecoVision, and with Gauntlet, I mean, they got all of those moving images, you know, on the screen, and there's a four-sprite limit on the ColecoVision. The fact that there's as little flicker on that as there is is astounding. Check that out now. next time you get it. There's, a, there's also, I can't remember... All the titles on there. There was a couple of arcade uh, uh, conversions, but uh, I don't know if you need the Phoenix uh, for it or not. Now that I think about it, but uh, yeah, uh, if you get a ColecoVision Phoenix um, or a ColecoVision, you might want to with a uh, Collector Vision Phoenix, Collector Vision Phoenix, or a uh, what do they call it? One of the the the, the like monitors? A flash card or flash card or SD uh, card or something. Check out the ROMs that uh, Pixel Boy um, releases because. Uh, he, they do some. They do some great work. I still can't get over all of the homebrews. Uh, the the ColecoVision homebrew scene is like outpacing the seventy eight hundred homebrew scene by a mile now. Yeah, but it's still far, and, far, far behind the twenty six hundred homebrew scene. I would say that's might be questionable at this point, but uh, we'll see. But the only thing I don't like is a lot of the new homebrews are being made specifically for the Phoenix or the uh, the Super Game module. Oh, yeah. Which I get it. You want to take advantage yeah, of that. Yeah. But not everybody has those. And I'm, I don't know what I think about the Collector Vision Experience Club where they release games that are only specific, that you can only get if you're a member of the club. Because it's like, 
way too expensive to join. And then once they uh, close uh, the membership period, then then that's it. I mean, you're not getting the games there unless you overpay for it on eBay or something. Yeah, I hate when, not just that, but like Rhino Records is great with doing that with their handmade products. They, they call yeah. it Rhino Handmade. They'll make 5000 and if you didn't get what you wanted, well, TS. Oh, well. You know. Yeah, I, I, I'm not a fan of that because it might be at some point later on down the line that I'll have the money for it. I just don't have it oh, now, yeah. but I miss out, and I, I I don't like that. But but I can't fault them for what they do otherwise because sure. they're, uh, they've breathed new life into the uh, humble ColecoVision, yeah. which weird that I'm saying it's humble, but <laughs> there you are. I'll tell you what, I was playing Cubert's Cubes on that thing. Oh my God, that is uh-huh. such a good conversion. So good. I like Gyrus on it. Yeah. And something I discovered, I don't, I think this is just because of my, the TV I use. Uh huh. Most of the time, Cubert's Cubes starts up all, the, the graphics are all kind of messed up, like when the game actually starts. I uh-huh. think what I have to do is literally while the game is actually loading, I have yeah. to change screen modes on my TV and then it works. Huh. It's really weird. I don't remember if it was one of the free games or if it's one of the ones uh, Collector Vision. Collector Vision has a a couple of game packs you can purchase. They're expensive, but you get a whole ton of games with them. And if you uh, do the math, it uh, it comes out to like maybe a couple of bucks per game. Sure, it's like for they got two separate packs for eighty bucks. I think it is. And one of them has a um, clone of Bomberman, which is insanely awesome to play with two people. So that's uh, that's a one to look out for. I don't. It's I don't. Is it called Bomberman? I think it is called Bomberman, which that is a deceptively difficult game. Looks easy, but uh, you get into it, man. You're uh, got to do some quick thinking. Make sure you don't, uh, you know, get in the path of the bomb. Oh, I'm too far. I'm far enough away. No, no, you're not. Yeah, I'm trying to think if I ever played that game. I don't remember. I got okay. Getting back to Cubert's Cubes on the ColecoVision. Yeah, I yeah. I might have mentioned this on a previous episode, but. Uh, the only time I ever saw an arcade Cubert's Cubes was at Galloping Ghost. And something uh-huh, that was that way. I noticed about their machine is that some of the sounds are mapped really weird. Like, yeah. for example, on the bonus screen, which you get every four rounds, usually when Cubert is rotating the cubes, there's just a little kind of like beep sound every time the cube rotates. Well, uh-huh. The way that the sounds are mapped on Galloping Ghost's machine is that when you, every single time the cube spins, it plays the extra life sound, which is really distracting. And uh, it's the only arcade cabinet I ever encountered in any form that does that, because I looked on YouTube and looked at arcade cabinet videos on YouTube. They don't do that. So I'm thinking it's just an anomaly. Let me tell you something. Hmm. The ColecoVision version of... I actually said ColecoVision version once without screwing mm-hmm. up. Good mm-hmm. Lord. But the ColecoVision version of Cubert's Cubes has that same sound mapping, interestingly. When Cubert rotates oh, wow. a bonus cube, it plays the mm-hmm. extra life sound. I was like, holy cow! So <laughs> I, I'd love to know what the deal is there. Uh, Jeff Lee, uh, Warren Davis, uh, if you guys are listening, uh, let me know what's going on with that. So... As listeners may have surmised, I have been playing with my Collector Vision Phoenix. I hooked it up to that TV I've been bragging about, and its uh, I was having a hard time getting it going. I finally got it to go on it, but now I got sound issues on it, so I think I'm going to have to put it on one of those uh, uh, HDMI um, switch box things to allow you to hook up multiple devices, because I'm 
That's the one thing I think I dislike, and it's been a cause of frustration for many people, is it's uh, very finicky with HDMI, uh, which kind of HDMI TVs or whatever you hook it up with. And uh, people are like, well, you need to get that working and stuff like that. And I would agree. It's, it, it is frustrating, but there are a few workarounds. But Sure. I mean, you know what, though? I, again, the fact that they made this device in the first place and it came out as good as it did, I'm not going to uh, criticize it at all. But, I mean, it, I, and I think it's an issue that they are working on, too. Sure. So, other than that, I mean, it's a great little uh, item yeah, to have. Yeah, I'm happy to have mine. Yeah, and I lo- I I was really getting into Sydney Hunter in the Caverns of Death until I think the fifth level, and I just could not get past it. I was like, "Screw this!" I was playing that for a while, and I kind of lost interest in it after a while. <laughs> I don't remember why, but I don't think I even got to that far. But I mean, it's a very good concept, so I applaud uh, right uh, Collector Vision for that. So very good job, Golf guys. Clap. Yeah. So with that, do we have any uh, addenda or errata? No, we were actually perfect last time around. Oh, Woo-hoo. I do have this, though, because you have uh, mentioned a few times before that you, well, you seem to think I'm a literalist just because I'm correct about a lot of things. You are a literalist. And I, w- I want to tell a story about literalism uh, that I meant to tell the last couple of episodes and I keep forgetting. But uh, you literally did not. Tell I literally them the last did. Yeah, episodes. exactly. So uh, I had to go to my doctor because I thought there was something wrong with my foot that I should get uh, medical attention about. So I made an appointment, and um, you know, she took my vital signs, and she said uh, your blood pressure is up a little. What I recommend you do is get one of those uh, blood pressure machines. You get a Walgreens or CVS or whatever, and uh, take your blood pressure every day. And I said, okay, yeah, cool. She said, make sure you get one with a large cuff. And she said, when you come back next month for your physical, bring the cuff with you. And I said, cool. So I get the blood pressure machine. You know, I monitor my blood pressure like several times a week, if not every day. And uh, when I went for my physical, where I go to see my doctor in their practice, they have been limiting face-to-face time with patients as much as possible because apparently there's a pandemic out there or something. I don't know if you heard. Hmm. I've never heard of that. So what they do when your appointment starts, you you actually talk to the physician over the phone just so they can collect as much data as they possibly can to limit in-person time they have with you to reduce the chances they catch any nasty disease. So I'm on the phone with my doctor and I said, hey, I did what you said. I got a, a blood pressure machine with a large cuff. And just as you asked me to do, I brought the cuff with me. And she said, okay, great. So before I come in there, Go ahead and take your blood pressure, and uh, we'll see how it how it is right now. And I said, okay, um, with what? And she said, well, with your cuff. I said, okay, is there a machine here I can hook it up to? Because, you know, what am I supposed to do? She said, just use the mm-hmm. machine you brought. I said, what machine? I only brought the cuff. And she said, oh, my God, I meant the machine. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I always call it the cuff. And uh. so, yeah, that's, I mean, I just I just want to ask people. Say what you mean, okay? Uh, d- try not to be so slangy. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you want asses in classes, teachers? Well, make sure you you mean that you actually want entire human beings and not just their butts, and uh, human <laughs> beings and not donkeys. When I was younger, one thing we were like visiting at my cousin's house or something like yeah. that. When we were about to leave, one thing my dad would always yell is like, all I want to see are asses and elbows. And one time we got so frustrated with him saying that, that me and my brother and my sister all came out of the, you know, walked downstairs from my uh, cousin's 
in my dead cousin's house, just with our butts and our elbows uh, leading us the way. So uh-huh. he laughed it off. <laughs> so literalism. Sean is a literalist. Indeed. But, so anyway, with all of that having been said, haha. <laughs> <laughs> We do have an email from you, Henny. Oh, yeah. Hi, uh, play the feedback thing here, would you? F-E-E-D-B-A-C. Feedback. 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 So uh, what does uh, Eugenio have to say? Eugenio, well... Uh, I guarantee you he has some patients who... Oh, I have an appointment with Dr. Eugenio today. <laughs> I guarantee you. Greetings, Jim and Sean. Greetings. Happy New Year. Sorry it's been ta- some time since I've been able to send you a fee- send you feedback. As you can imagine, things have been rather crazy thanks to COVID. I did take time off over the holidays and visited my parents in Puerto Rico, however. Nice. I needed the break. In any case, the email has feedback for the games you've covered since my last email. Tubin, this is oh, you. He says, I've never Tubin. played this game in the arcade or in any of the home ports. I was aware it existed, though, and I was never too interested in playing it. I've watched some videos of the game, and while it has cool music and nice graphics, the gameplay itself just doesn't appeal to me. I know this game has several home versions, but it seems the best one of the bunch is the Amiga version. Ooh, score one for Amiga. I'm uh, still an Amiga guy at heart, even though I don't have... Anyway, sorry. Uh, The Game Boy Color version looks and sounds rather good, too, but the NES version looks rather plain. You know, I agree with you, Henio, on on that about a lot of games, actually. Uh, Yeah, a lot of games, uh, a lot of arcade translations on the NES. I really don't like the NES. Anyway, going on. Uh, The Atari ST does a pretty good job, too, though the music isn't as good as the music on the Amiga. Regardless, if I ever try this out, it will need to be a version of the game on the PlayStation's Arcade Party Pack, as I do own that game collection. Yeah, uh, You know what? I forgot that I actually own that as oh, well. Oh, really? Uh, I believe uh, uh, Smash TV is on it. I think Clax. I can't remember some of the other games. Rampage, I know, was on it. Oh, that's yeah, a, that's a pretty that's, good collection. That sounds like a really cool collection. Yeah, nice. nice. Uh, so. so he talks about Puyan. Puyan. Uh, here is another one of those games... I've also never played on the arcade, but this time it is a game I have played on home consoles. Until recently, my only experience with Puyan was with the Atari 2600 port of the game. Unfortunately, that port of the game is not the best experience. Totally agree. Though I do understand the graphical limitations of the 2600, most 2600 ports do manage to capture the gameplay fairly well. When it comes to Puyan, the gameplay suffers as well. Thankfully, I recently got the Phoenix, and I've been able to play the ColecoVision version of the game, which was released as a homebrew by Collector Vision. I'll have to look for that. Huh. I didn't realize they ported that. Now, this is a totally different experience. This version not only looks good, it plays, and it has the in-game music. I know there's an Atari 8-bit port that I should try at some point. That port looks even better than the CV port and has smoother animation. Definitely one version of the game that I want to try. 3. Pepper 2. I have never seen this game at any arcade or retro event. Ever since I learned about it, though, I I wondered about Pepper 1. That game, of course, does not exist, and that makes me wonder what drove the developer of this game to give it a sequel's name. Maybe they just saw uh, Leonard Part 6. Could be, but didn't we address Uh, that in the uh, S-Suppose? Yes, we did. Regardless, Pepper 2 is a really fun game. My experience with it has been with the ColecoVision version, but from what I've seen on YouTube, that is a superb version that captures the arcade's gameplay very well. Uh, so I don't feel like I'm missing anything. 
To me, this game mixes aspects of other games like Amadar, Pac-Man, and even Kicks. It does so in its own unique way, which is why I find this game to be so much fun. Maybe I'll get to try the arcade original at some point. By the way, zippity doo I have yet to play Pepper 2 on the uh, on the Phoenix slash ColecoVision. Oh, gosh, you're missing out. I probably please, am, please play yeah. It's a very, very good port. It's a little hard to control, but I found that with the arcade version as well, as far as the joystick movement, but we discussed that yeah. before. So. And Cosmic Chasm. That's you. Oh, that yeah, that is, that uh, is you. Uh, here's a game that I have actually tried in the arcade. Bang. My first experience was with the Vectrex version, which I did not realize had some differences when compared to the arcade original. Well. Interestingly, the Vectrex version came first, and the arcade version was developed later. That may explain the differences in gameplay, as Simatronics may have decided to make improvements to the game. The ship on the Vectrex version has a different shape, and it has both lasers, I did finger quotes there, and shields, but the front tip also has a drill that is used to penetrate the force fields, blocking the exits. The map screen is displayed only in between levels, whereas the arcade shows the map at the top of the screen. The arcade version uses color vectors, but the Vectrex version has the overlay to colorize the screen, though the colors are different from those used on the arcade version. Yeah, I didn't talk about that the difference in the overlay in the color vector version. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, thank you for uh, uh, pointing that out, uh, Eugenio. Uh, the, uh, let's see, where did I... Uh, the overall gameplay remains the same, though. Yeah, true. I've always enjoyed the Vectrex version, and I also did enjoy the arcade version. The one time I got to see it during a retro event... In Florida, uh, Ape or Arcade and Pinball Expo, yeah? You know, I think uh, Sean will agree with me on this when I say that there's just something I love about color vector yeah, games, no matter what it they is. they are so beautiful to look at. Oh, heck yeah, they are. There aren't many that I actually like to play, but dang it if they don't look good. I personally think the best, my favorite color vector game to look at is probably Black Widow. Yeah, I thought you would say Black Widow. I mean, I, I've played it. Space, space Duel's pretty close. Space, Oh, yeah. Space Duel looks really nice. You know what? I ch- flip them. I, I think Space Duel and then Black Widow. I gotta play Black Widow again. I haven't played that in a while. That's a great game. And then he talks about the games that we're gonna talk about, and uh, we should probably uh, not let him uh, steal our thunder yet. No, just not yet. <laughs> um, I think with that, uh, let's, uh, we have an underwriter Oh, yeah. At this point. So let's go to that, and then we'll get to the games. So have at it. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Who wants to clean and debone them? I'll do it. What gives? You want to do it? Just wait till you see what I've got. It's the Wonder Boner. (laughs) The Wonder Boner? Oh, you laugh now. Just watch. You just assemble the Wonder Boner stainless steel rods like this. Take the fish, find the top of the spine, through the ring on the Wonder Boner, and voila, the Wonder Boner. My wife would like that. Introducing the Wonder Boner, the amazing new fishing tool that makes deboning fish a breeze. The Wonder Boner's unique design removes the bones from trout, char, and whitefish. Simply connect the appropriate size stainless steel rods, start the spine through the ring, and push the fish through. It's that easy. And the Wonder Boner comes with a polyethylene storage case that doubles as a base and a cutting board. Why go through the hassle of deboning a fish the old-fashioned way when the Wonder Boner makes deboning fish this easy? Well, 
I think the Wonder Boner is a winner. So, uh, Dave, where did you get the Wonder Boner? It's funny you should ask. Order your Wonder Boner now. Call 1-800-310-3039 and receive the amazing Wonder Boner for just $19.95. The Wonder Boner comes complete with three stainless steel rod tops and two extension rods and will debone fish up to three pounds. The Wonder Boner is the perfect gift for your fishing friends and your favorite chef. In fact, every tackle box and every kitchen should have the Wonder Boner. Call 1-800-310-3039 and order your Wonder Boner for only $19.95. 1-800-310-3039. Hey, do you think this thing will be good to help out with picnic boning? Um, that's a good question. Oh, uh, I you. do know that um, my wife could use uh, one of those, though. Oh, really? Yes, th- that's... Uh... A handy device for any fisherman, and uh, we give you all of the contact info in case you want one of those. Yep. And um, yeah, it's nothing like uh, I don't know where I'm going to go with this. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thank you for uh, thank you to Wonder Boner for underwriting our wacky little podcast thingy that we do here. Yeah, man, where were you guys six years ago? We could have used your help. We still can use yeah. your help. Yes. Yeah. Not well. We don't need a Wonder Boner, but you know. We can use the underwriting. Oh, sure. Of course. Who couldn't? So what are we going to do here now? Uh, we should talk about a couple of games. C-U-P-L-A. Coupla. So I'm talking right now. So why don't we just start with Zero Wing? Ah, Zero Wing. So yeah, Zero Wing, uh, 1989 uh, from Topland. Although I did see uh, uh, one source say that it was actually, even though it was designed by Topland, it was released by Namco. Oh, really? Uh, over in Japan. In the U.S., it was uh, distributed by Williams in April of 1990. So it's a little bit of a latecomer, which looks like doesn't, uh, I don't know. Maybe it needs a wonder boner. <laughs> it needs a wonder boner. Um, <laughs> this game had two different cabinets, a one-player version and a two-player simultaneous. Eight-way joystick, two buttons, uh, one that uh, fires, and the other one is called the Seize Weapon. That's an actually an interesting device. We'll get to that in a second. In the game, player controls the Zig Firecraft, trying to defeat the alien cyborg cats. And uh, basically, it's a typical uh, Gradius scramble sort of uh, game. Gradius. You're going through Gradius sort of game, <laughs> where you're going through, you know, like a tunnel or whatever and shooting stuff down and... Uh, it's that sort of a game. Um, it does have some weapon power-ups I'll get to in just a moment. But uh, I was mentioning the uh, Caesar button. You hit that button, and a door opens on the uh, cabinet, and it uh, gives you a nice uh, Caesar salad to uh, munch on while you're playing. That is awesome. Yeah, that's a nice feature. No, 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 no. It means it makes you... <laughs> it, may, it allows you to capture an enemy... And uh, shoot it back out, uh, destroying anything in its path. So I thought that was an interesting little difference between some of these other games. Now, there are power-ups, and I thought... You don't say. Had... Ah, here we are. I got the power-ups in the wrong spot in my notes. If you shoot an enemy, destroy an enemy, rather, because the enemies take more than one shot, most of them, or a lot yeah. of them. Um, yeah. The green one will give you homing shots. Blue one will give you lasers, and red will give you spread shots. Kind of the same deal as in, um, uh, what was the game? Uh, Raiden. The only thing is you can only max these weapons out three times. Oh. Every now and then, there will be a uh, token. It'll, it'll be a blue insignia, and it will speed up your ship. Every now and then, you'll see a bomb. You'll pick that up with your Caesar. You launch it up, and it works just like a smart bomb, killing everything on the screen. All the remarks I am trying to make about C-A-E-S-A-R. <laughs> and, I am, too, and, and I am just 
biting my tongue so much that it almost hurts. If you collect a different color power-up, when your uh, weapon is maxed out, it will you give you the next weapon uh, powered up, which uh, I believe uh, other other games will like maybe take you all the way back or you know reduce you one level on the new weapon you picked up. But uh, now there's eight different stages in this. Stage one is called Natoles. Two is called Ligoris. Three is called Pleiades. Uh, there's no Pleiades. I in it, so it's no. Oh, oh no! no. Oh, that's right. No, yeah. there's no I in it. It's Pleiades. Oh. P-L-E-A-D-E-S. So it is Pleiades in this case. Oh. Aquis, there's a submarine tunnel, barricade zone. Stage seven is, it is Bellon, B-E-L-L-O-N. And the final stage location is called Gerbara. You want to give me Gerbara? Oh, yeah. If you um, power up one of your weapons all the way to the third power, every other token of that color that shows up gives you an additional 5,000 points. So that's very nice. And this, I thought, interesting. Um, the enemy hit points are affected by the weapon the player is using when the enemy appears on the screen. For example, if you use the red weapon, the hit points required to destroy an enemy are multiplied by one. Blue weapons are multiplied by two. And green weapon is are multiplied by three. So in some cases, it might not be to your advantage to um, actually pick up the more powerful weapon. So, you know, that introduces <laughs> a little bit of strategy into the game. I only yeah. found this out when I was doing the research. I played this a few times and I didn't notice it, but uh, that's, uh, yeah, that's uh, interesting. A little bit of trivia about this game. This I thought interesting. Zero Wing started as a project not intended for commercial launch because it was actually intended to train new recruits at Topland. So they were just making a game to see what uh, their new recruits could do. Uh, see what their new recruit How good of a programmer their new recruits were. So they ultimately did decide to release the game, which uh, actually became more of a learning experience, I guess. <laughs> there is a invulnerability dip switch. If you turn that on, you're invulnerable, but you can also pause the game by uh, pushing the P2 start button and restart the game with the player one start. Interesting. And holding up on the controls at the end of stage four will result in a special message from the Topland's uh, mascot. There's a warp zone in stage five. And what you do is you take the uh, uppermost path on the final upper section of, uh, of the level. And that warp brings your player to the final stage. But you can only do that the first time you loop the game. And I think there's like 30-some... <laughs> first time! <laughs> yeah. There's like some 30 loops, at least there is in the home ports. Um, first time. <laughs> there are two home ports for this game. And you're implying that there's any time at all. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Uh, there are two home ports of this game, the PC Engine or yeah, there the are. US, the TurboGrafx-16, <laughs> and the famous Genesis port or Mega Drive in Europe. And um, this is interesting. The Japanese version of the, uh, I believe the Genesis version, has 35 different endings. What? There's 35 different endings. And uh, if you get the best ending for completing the game three times, each ending afterwards will be uh, the bad guy saying something weird. Something yeah. weird. Yes. And uh, here's my favorite one. Uh, ending number 30, Katz says, I'm going to go pee-pee behind you. Now do you give up? So <laughs> it's in Japanese, unfortunately. So, oh, by the uh, way, speaking of Genesis and Mega Drive, I forgot to mention this, but uh, uh, our Patreon sponsor, Kevin Bean, had this wisdom for us. Uh, oh? Fun fact, in America, we generally call the first book of the Bible Genesis, but in Europe, it's known as Mega Drive. So uh, oh. thank you, Kevin. Well, I did not know that. 
They didn't there teach me go. that in 16 years of Catholic school. And if you get the 35th ending, uh, <laughs> the 35th different ending of zeroing on the Genesis, the thing that the guy says at the end, the cat's guy, says something weird. C-U-B da a re west b-c-c west re west a da then s. That's actually a cheat code for the Genesis version <laughs> of the game. The cheat code is actually pretty well known now. But, yeah, it took people uh, 20 years to realize that that was a secret code. What you do is you, you pause the game, and you press C up, B down, A left, right, B, C, C, right, left, right, A down, and then start again to unpause it. That'll bring up the game's test mode, and you can, uh, you know, introduce uh, invulnerability and uh, something like that. There will be a link in the show notes to a video of all of the different endings, and uh, if you want a text version of the article, there's a... Website, which, you know what, we should have probably been uh, looking at this site for reference for a long time. It's called legendsoflocalization.com. Legends of, oh, we'll put that link in the show notes. Yeah, so we'll put that one in the show notes. I'm going to explore this site a little bit more. Legendsoflocalization.com, you say. That can. And uh, everybody knows what this game, the home version, the Genesis version of this game is famous for, right? Somebody set up us the bomb. (laughs) What say you? You have no chance to survive, make your time. So, yes, all your base truly belongs to us. They are belong so, to us. Oh, they are. They truly oh, dude, are belong I gotta, to us. I'm sorry. I, I, I apologize for Matt because I've been nagging him for years about this. But, man, the Atari Protos site where it says all your protos are belong to us, to make it fully grammatical, it has to be all your proto, singular, are belong to us. I'm sure he'll get right on that change. So that, in a nutshell, is Zero Wing. There's some interesting stuff behind it, but... But what? Do we let's uh, let's you know what? Let's jump into scores. Do we have any scores? <laughs> Do we have any scores? Oh, <laughs> we have scores. Do we have scores. any scores? Do we? Uh, yeah, yeah. Actually, um, let's see. This is interesting because on Orcade.com, it shows in their database at least there are only two arcades that have zeroing. One of them uh-huh. is the uh, uh, one up, which I believe is in Brisbane, and um, the other one is Galloping Ghost. Uh huh. Orcade.com shows their highest score as being from Galloping Ghost, performed mm-hmm. by Pete Hunt. There's a shock. Just this past October, October 29th, really? 2021, oh, wow. he scored 575,740. 500? Yeah. However, the uh, oh. Twin Galaxies high score is by James Morris, who played it at the One Up in Brisbane. So basically, each location has a high score somewhere. So uh, uh, James Morris scored a million ninety two thousand ninety, and he submitted that uh, score on November 6th, 2021. I want, oh, I wonder if maybe that was uh, the Battle of the Arcades game. Oh, I wonder. That might might explain it. I don't remember for sure. Because they always have that Battle of the Arcades going on. Sure. Oh, geez. I've just been cruising this Legends of Localization. Pro Wrestling on the NES. A winner is you. <laughs> That's where that comes from. Yes. So that was... Uh, totally grammatically so correct. Scoring, well... It, there's nothing grammatically wrong with that. So that was our scores then, huh? Yeah, yeah, that was it. Yeah. Now, the thing is, like, um, if you don't mind me interjecting with my thoughts on Zeroing right now... I was just going to ask you for oh, your thoughts. Oh, okay. I mean, thank you. It's a nice-looking game. It's well-designed, and it's... It looks like it's a fun play, but here's the thing. About 99% of what you said was total news to me. 
for all I know, you could be lying right now because man, it is difficult as all get out of here. Oh, I can, I can, I don't think I ever had a game last longer than 20 seconds of zero wing ever. This is not an easy game. No, it is. It's not. It looks a lot easier than it actually is. And I want to really like it. I really want to play it because it looks, uh, it looks fascinating. It's a nice little, it's a, or a nice looking side-scrolling shooter, but man, I can't freaking play it. Yeah, it's not an easy game. I can't say as I'm a huge fan of this game, to be perfectly honest, because it just feels like another, like, Gradius knockoff clone. Yeah. And uh, for the time it was released, the thing I liked about Gradius is the uh, the graphics, I think, were a lot cleaner, and um, the gameplay was uh, not that difficult to figure out, and... Um, this one, I just can't get into this one. I guess I really just don't like the dark graphics. From I did a full um, playthrough with cheats on the Genesis version. Yeah. And to me, the levels look the same over and over. They seem like redundant. Well, no, because I can't finish a level. Well, yeah, that's true, but I had cheats on. Yeah. But the game just seems uninspired to me, I guess is the best way to put it. I can dig that. It's like they came up with great graphics, some good sound, but they didn't really seem to know where they were going with it. But that really, though, if, uh, with the backstory that I just that I uh, re- uncovered through the research of this game, really explains a lot. That this is not a game that they were actually intending to release. Yeah, yeah, I could, I could totally training see. Things. So that makes a lot of sense. And, so, um, so it's like more of a proof of concept than anything. More well. Not so much proof of concept, but proof of talent of the programmers. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, like you said um, earlier. So the people that designed the game, uh, since they were interns or whatever, candidates for the job at the company or whatever, I'll give them credit because I, I think for what they did, they did a good job. But as a commercially viable game, I just don't really care for this game that much. Might as well give my rating at this yeah, point. Yeah, why not? I'm, I'm rating it a two. Yeah, I, I'm actually going to be a little bit more generous with it on our scale of one to five continues inclusive. Uh, inclusive yeah. I'm going to go three because I really want to like this. Uh-huh. I really want to, it has, it does ha- give me this one more try feel, but the problem is the one more try gets more and more frustrating right? and discouraging. I do like the idea of being able to capture an enemy and using it as a weapon, but I don't think that they fully explored that concept. It would be nice if like different enemies did different things when you capture them. Sure. Like some would act like uh, some would like kill everything on the screen. Well, they do have that, that bomb thing, but what the one that somebody set up us. Yes. I think they could have explored that just a little bit more. I don't know if I really have any ideas, but that's the concept. Well, let's put it there. You know what would have been cool is if they had like a, a screen that was like a wall, it had like bricks or pieces of wall or something, and you used the capture thing and you had to capture a piece of the wall, launch it, shoot it, and then just keep doing that to get through the area. I think that would have been kind of neat. Maybe frustrating. I would save that for something like in a later level. But, you know, something like that, because it's a good idea that I don't think they've, I'm repeating myself, that they did, didn't fully explore. As an aside, I, I listened to one of our early episodes. Oh, God. Uh, I think it was the Terminator 2 episode. And um, <laughs> I'm like listening to it and I'm like thinking about how much I was repeating myself in the early episodes. I still do it, but nowhere near as bad. And I was thinking to myself, wow, I am really, <laughs> I am really unlistenable. <laughs> so, wow, how much things change over the course of what, six years now? 
Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be seven in April. Seven, yeah. Yeah. So how things have changed. And I noticed that I don't say what it is is that anymore. So I made a conscious decision to stop saying that. Nice. I think I do let it slip once in a while, but I don't do it much anymore. But at any rate, that's neither here nor there. I still have all my bad habits, so Yeah, you better stop picking your nose while we record. I'm that's sorry, a okay. Jeez. Gotta do something with, with all those snuts. Are we done with Zero Wing? I believe so, although maybe, maybe, maybe I'll give it another chance, but not right now. Instead, I will definitely play the game again because the intro on the Genesis version is is still funny. The meme was overdone, but the actual intro is still funny as hell. Oh, and by the way, in case there are any Zero Wing fans listening to this who are like, you two are nuts. This is a great game. It's probably because you only played it in MAME. No. We have played the actual arcade game. We went to Galloping Ghost mm-hmm. and played it. So yes, we did. And I had and no better it in experience. Maine as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Me too. Me too. Sean was there when I played it, so I'll back I him witnessed. up as well. Yeah. So um, yeah, and that's the thing. And I turned around, and on the other side of the room was uh, Gradius, Gradius, Nemesis, Nemesis, whatever it's called. And I'm thinking, hmm, I should have played that one instead. Oh my god! You know what? I finally got the uh, the new Pac Man book from. Uh, Oh, oh Brett, what's the uh, name? Brett Weiss? N- no, Brett. Uh, the, oh, the one that Tim Lapatino co-wrote. Oh my God, yeah, it is yeah, yeah, gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, finally, it came, finally came off the cargo ship and it's nice. here and it's massive. And all I could think of when I got it was, oh crap, I got to lug this to Midwest Gaming Classic and have Tim <laughs> sign this because I forgot oh, that it doesn't come pre-signed. I'm still paging a little bit through Legends of Localization, uh, the bad game translation Hall of Fame page. Tamagotchi on the Game Boy. <clears throat> Remember to flash the toilet. <laughs> hmm. So what, I have to wear a trench coat when I go to the bathroom? Apparently. Huh. So, yeah. Oh, you know what What other game that I actually played in an arcade so people can't say, oh, you're only saying this because you only know it from meme. Hmm. Bad Dudes versus Dragon Ninja. Oh, really? Yeah, and that happens to be the other game that we planned for today. What a coincidence. What a coincidence about this game that was released in 1988 by Data East. Now, here's the thing. According to Wikipedia... There's no H. The game was released on March 2nd, 1988 in Japan, May 1988 in North America, and June 88 in Europe. What about Oceania, Antarctica, and Africa? I don't know. If anybody knows, please, uh, piefactory at fab4it.com. Now, having said that, that March 2nd date in Japan, in the Wikipedia entry, it references the Library of Congress copyright registry as its source. Mm -hmm. So I looked it up on that copyright registry, and the record specifically says Data East USA. So I don't know how exactly that's tied to the Japanese release. That March 2nd date also is what's listed as date of publication. So I don't know if that means publication of the copyright record, uh, publication of the game, or what. And if it was publication of the game from Data East USA, how do they tie it to Japan? I don't know. Furthermore, there's another entry specifically for the audio visuals of the gameplay and the attract mode. And that entry lists June 7th and June 13th as date of execution, whatever that means. I don't know if it means that uh, the two bad dudes were publicly crucified or something. I don't know. And it lists June 27th as date of recordation, recordation. I don't know what that means. And I didn't feel like looking it up. 
ArcadeHistory.com says that it was released in Japan in April of 88. So in other words, I don't know when the hell this game was released, so let's just call it 88, okay? 1988. Let's say that. Yeah. And uh, in Japan, by the way, it it was just called Dragon Ninja. I believe it's all combined into one word, dragon with a ninja attached directly at the end, but with the first N in ninja capitalized. Normally, when I introduce a game, I like to uh, give a shout out to the programmer, the designer, the uh, Mm -hmm. developer, whatever, but there's a huge team on this. So rather than waste 10 minutes going over who worked on it, I simply refer you to the closing credits of the game or go to arcadehistory.com or any other fine reference. I do like to talk about the control panel, though, just to kind of Give a little bit of background of what people would expect. Please, give a little bit. Yeah, because there is a two-player cooperative option. There are controls for two separate players, and they're both ambidextrous, thankfully. Be bad dudes and all. Well, yeah. The plural. Of course, Dragon Ninja's singular, so I don't know. Well, the thing is, you don't control Dragon Ninja. You you control bad dudes, of which there are up to two, so it makes perfect sense. Each player has a eight-way joystick with a pair of buttons on either side of each joystick. The inner buttons are red, and they are labeled attack. The outer buttons are yellow, and they're labeled jump. Player 1's pairs of buttons are located at roughly 9 o'clock and 4 o'clock on the panel, and Player 2's buttons are at roughly 2 o'clock and 8 o'clock on the panel. And uh, I'm going to talk about why this is a little bit important uh, later on. But let's talk about the gameplay itself. Here's what happened. You are told that um, President Ronnie has been kidnapped by the evil Dragon Ninja. Or, as uh, the Attract Mode screen says so eloquently, rampant ninja-related crimes these days, dot, dot. White House is not the exception, dot, 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 dot. Uh, That's White House, not White House, but White House. Now, when you start the game, there's an unnamed character in a blonde buzz cut and uh, sunglasses, and via a dialogue bubble that gets typed as you read it, you are told, and I quote, President Ronnie has been kidnapped by the ninjas. Are you a bad enough dude to rescue Ronnie? Uh, I guess this guy is the boss of Striker and Blade, the uh, titular bad dudes of the game. At least in the arcade version, the only difference between Blade and Striker is the pants. Blade has white pants and Striker wears green pants. I think at least the NES version does make an attempt to make them look different besides with the pants. Like if they have different facial features or something, but uh, I'm not sure. I can, all I can say is at least that version, they don't look that much alike. Player one controls Blade, player two controls Striker. And, uh, Basically, Bad Dudes versus Dragon Ninja, or if you're in Japan, Dragon Ninja, it's pretty much your standard fight and go right. Blade and or Striker must fight their way through seven stages to rescue President Ronnie, who kind of looks like Ronald Reagan, except that he's half as old as Reagan was in 1988, and he has blonde hair. Upon completion of a stage... Within a time limit, your character yells, I'm bad! I'm bad! (laughs) You get three lives. I haven't been able to ascertain if you get an extra life at any point, but you get six hits per life. Your lives and hit points are displayed on the bottom part of the screen, so you always know what's going on. And occasionally, you're going to come across some power-ups that you can collect by uh, going over to them. I think you have to pull the joystick down and hit the attack button. Or mm-hmm. maybe you just hit the attack, but I don't remember. Hmm. 
One of the power-ups is a can of cola that kind of looks like Coca-Cola, but for trademark reasons, most definitely is not Coca-Cola. That restores your hit points. There's a sword you can pick up. It's a short-range sword. It's a bit more powerful than your standard punch or kick attack, and I'll uh, get to those later. Uh, There's a pair of nunchucks. I like the nunchucks myself. Those are pretty cool. Uh, They're long-range weapons and easy to knock out an opponent with. There is a clock. If you pick up a clock, it extends your remaining time to finish the stage. And you'll know that your character has picked up the power-up when the power-up disappears and the player says, Got it! Got it! (laughs) I love that sound. I got something to say about the other sound, but I'll Uh hold that for a little bit later. But anyway, to fight off the ninjas and other attackers and objects, you can throw a punch by pressing the attack button while your character is standing. You can kick by crouching. You pull the joystick down to kind of crouch or stoop down, and you press the attack button. If you want to do a jump kick, you press the attack and jump buttons at the same time. And there's a spin kick that you can execute that I've only been able to execute accidentally, but I think what you have to do is do a jump kick while you're moving uh, and uh, move the joystick in the opposite direction that you're facing. I think that's how you do it, but I'm not 100% sure. Any attack can knock out more than one enemy at once if they're close enough together, like if they're practically on top of each other. Mm -hmm. There is also a special punch in which you can kind of channel your inner energy to deliver a strong, powerful, literally flaming punch. To do that, what you do is you hold the button down, you hold the attack button down, and you're you'll get kind of a visual indication that your energy is building up. Like I think it's like Mm -hmm. a, a, a white lightning streak or something mm-hmm. or a yellow lightning streak. And, uh, when you're ready to punch after you build up all the energy, you just let go of the button. And I, I think did not you, know that was a thing in the game. Yeah. Neither did I until I did a little bit more research. I think you can actually walk around while still holding that power. Uh, it stays with you until you actually release the button. There are ninjas that are dressed in black, red, and blue. The most frequent ones you're going to encounter are the blue ninjas. Uh, The ones in black, they usually throw some fighting stars, and you have to avoid those by jumping, ducking, or attacking them. Some of the stars that they throw, they're going to end up on the ground, or, well, maybe not the ground, but whatever level you're walking on. I should mention that each stage has two walkable levels, one on the bottom, one on the top. You go to the top one by hitting jump and pushing up on the joystick. You go to the bottom one by hitting the jump button and pulling down on the joystick at the same time. But you have to avoid the ninjas because if they attack you or touch you in any way, you lose a hit point. In the references that I was able to find, they refer to an animal. It looks like some kind of wild dog or wolf or something, but that wild dog will appear on the bottom level from time to time. Uh, You can attack it successfully, but I've never been able to do it. I've seen some uh, playthrough videos or people are actually doing that. They're able to kick the dog away, but I've never been able to do it. I don't know why. Now, because it's a fight and go right, there are going to be some boss battles. And during a boss battle, the boss's character's hit points will actually be displayed on the bottom of the screen. I like that. I don't like guessing. I like knowing when the boss is about to lose all the, all the energy. So I'm going to talk about the uh, seven stages. It just makes me think of uh, Paul McCartney's uh, telling of how one time when he dropped acid, he wrote a note and he handed it to a friend of his and said, here, you take this, you keep it with you. This is very important. The next day when he was sober again, he said, hey, uh, did I hand you a piece of paper? And the guy said, yeah. He said, can I, can I see that? I want to know what I wrote. 
So the guy hands McCartney the piece of paper. So he opens it up and it says, there are seven levels. Now, I'm not saying that this seven-stage format was necessarily inspired by Paul McCartney's acid trip, but you gotta wonder. I did not know Paul McCartney ever dropped acid. Yep. Did he drop the bass, too? No, but uh, he said that his technician is really good and usually doesn't drop it. So, Ah. uh, anyway, uh, stage one, you are walking on top of and below a fence in an unspecified city while fighting off uh, usually blue ninjas. You'll see some of the black-dressed ninjas appearing, and uh, you want to be careful there. Uh, There are going to be a couple of red ninjas. Uh, Attack the red ninjas in this stage, and they will drop a clock and a cola can that is definitely not a Coca-Cola can. And you'll know you're near the end of the stage when sword-carrying ninjas attack. Get past them, and you'll get to the stage's boss character, the Fire Breather. Now, the Fire Breather is actually the titular character Karnov, from the 1987 Data East game of the same name. I noticed that. I did not because I didn't know I don't know Karnov, but I, I do like know that en- game. I do know enough to know that Karnov in his own game is supposed to be the good guy, right? Yes, yes he is. Yeah, but he's an enemy in this one. So, I don't know. But uh, he actually breathes fire, so you have to attack him repeatedly while avoiding his breath. So he he periodically blows a flame out of his mouth. <laughs> Sometimes uh, he'll actually crouch down at you, too, so you got to be careful with that. I found that he's uh, not the most difficult boss character in the world. It's definite, He's definitely beatable. So uh, moving on to stage two, you're now riding on a truck carrying two semi-trailers whilst... Now, that was for our friends in England, by the way, whilst ninjas attack from all directions, uh, including climbing up the sides of the trailers. If you fall off of the semi and you land on the road, you're going to lose three hit points and you got to get right back on that semi or else you're going to lose three more, which means you lose a life because you only get six hit points per life. Now, many gamers would probably look at this and say, oh, yeah, that's the scene that takes place in New York City. No, it does not. You know how I know that? How do you know that? Because you can clearly see the sign for the New Yorker in the skyline, which tells you that you're actually in New Jersey. If you were actually in New York, you would not see that sign uh, from where you were, because that would be the East River, and you would only see the back of the building if it's visible at all from the other side of the East River. So you're actually along the Hudson River mm. in on the New Jersey side. If you were so, in, if you were in Manhattan and you're looking across the East River, you would see the the huge sign that says Watchtower. Oh, really? Yes, you would. The Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. I almost want to say that's the New Jersey Turnpike, but I don't think it's that close to the Hudson. But anyway, there's a, I noticed Are that- Are you a th- bad enough dude to get the president out of New Jersey? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, well, spoiler alert, I don't think he's actually in New Jersey, and I'll tell you why in a bit. But um, I noticed there's a little bit of Hanna-Barbera action here, because you know how uh, in Hanna-Barbera cartoons when somebody runs, it's usually the same background repeating over and over, like they have this, they pass the same end table with a little vase with a single flower in it over and over. There is a little bit of that going on in this scene in Bad Dudes, <laughs> I, I noticed, especially toward the end of the level, uh, the end of the stage. Uh, when the semi does arrive at its destination, you take on the next boss character, Iron Arm, who, uh, I don't know why they call him Iron Arm. 
iron arm because it's the claws on both his toes and fingers that you're really focused on. They're, they're razor claws. He's uh, more difficult to kill than Karnoff is, and timing is of the utmost importance or else you're going to get shredded pretty quickly. And uh, fun fact, the semi that you are fighting on has the name Data East USA on the front trailer. In the Japanese version, the trailer has the words Kuchiko Company Limited, CO period, LTD period, which apparently was a manufacturer of car body parts and was affiliated with Honda. So moving right along, you got stage three, you're fighting in a sewer, which very well might be New Jersey for all we know, because uh, North, nah, I'm not going to comment on North Jersey. But <laughs> anyway, uh, some of the blue ninjas strongly resemble Iron Arm in that they have razor claws. Uh, the boss character is a green ninja master named Kamui, and he will periodically appear to replicate, producing a group of something like 10 other green ninjas. And the best way to kill off those replicated ninjas is using that uh, flaming punch that I talked about. Of course, the thing is, they aren't actual ninjas. They are just illusions. Illusions? Illusions that Kamui was able to conjure up. Moving on to stage four, you're running through a forest. So that point, we're pretty sure we're not in New Jersey, because I don't think they have forests that far north. I might be wrong, though. They have mountains that far north. But anyway, uh, in addition to the usual ninjas, on the bottom level, you're going to see that wild dog from time to time. On this stage, you're going to see a new character who's a fire ninja. The fire ninja runs after you after he's already set on fire, and if he makes contact with you, of course, that's not going to be nice. The boss character is named Animal, and uh, he's based on Keith Moon. He has a lot of orange fur, and he plays the drum. What? Oh, hold on. Sorry, I was thinking of the wrong one. Uh, this <laughs> character named Animal, he wears a lot of armor, and he tends to retaliate immediately after you attack him. So once you do attack Animal, you got to back away immediately so that when he retaliates, he totally misses you and hits the air. Then you move on to stage five, which is kind of like stage two, except instead of being on a semi, you're now going on a train. And instead of New Jersey, you're now in a landscape that resembles the Western United States, like where the Rockies rough, well, not the Rockies, but kind of in that, if you're ever flying out West and you fly over those beige areas with those, uh, uh, <clears throat> like mesas and everything, it kind of looks like that. The Colorado plateau. Kind of. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Like Colorado, maybe Utah. But Karnoff makes another appearance in this stage, uh, not as the boss character, but as just one of the other enemies. Uh, this time you can actually jump to other train cars. I don't know if you can, I think you might be able to jump to the other semi-trailers on the semi-stage, but I've never been able to do it successfully. Uh, the gap on the train is pretty wide, so you have to be really careful. In fact, I think it's recommended that if you do change train cars, you do so only when there are no enemies attacking you, so you have enough space. The boss character, Akai Kage, he's going to throw some Kusarigamas at you. Uh, what is a Kusarigama? I don't know. You don't know what a Kusarigama is? Jeez. Well, it's a Japanese weapon that contains a Kama, K-A-M-A, which is uh, kind of like a sickle, and it has a heavy iron weight attached to it. I got a couple of fun facts for you, by the way. Oh, how fun are they? Oh, they are just, they're such a blast, let me tell you. Well, bring them on. Sure, on this stage, on stage five, you actually go left. <gasps> so it's no. not, so at this point, it's temporarily not a fight and go right game. Say, that is a fun yeah. fact. It's a throw your heft to the left game. 
So, so it's a fight and go right most of the time game. Yes, yes. Uh, another fun fact on one of the train cars, the word Chelnov is painted. Do you know what uh, Chelnov is? It is another Data East game, but it's a like a fighter. It's a uh, not a fighter. A uh, is like a kind of like a Gradius. It's like Tetris, sort of thing. isn't it? No, it's kind of like Gradius. Oh, okay. I thought it was like Pac Man. No, 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 no. It's not a shooter game. Uh, I think you actually you're a person and you're running and uh, shooting things. Well, the name of the game is Atomic Runner Chelnov. Yes, 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 yes. Th- okay, I th- I'm thinking that Chelnov might be Data East's equivalent to the uh, Galaxian flagship from Namco because apparently he makes cameos in a lot of other Data East games. Yes, he does. So, yeah. And when uh, I first heard of Chelnov, I thought it was a sequel to Karnov, but no, it's not. Hmm. But anyway, let's move on to stage six, which takes place in a cave, in a cave. Uh, here you have an additional little danger, and that's falling stalactites, uh, the little things at the, on top of the cave. Things on the bottom of the cave are called stalagmites, by the way. One mnemonic I use to remember the difference is that the word bottom has an M, as does stalagmites. So there you go. But anyway, you can dodge or destroy the falling stalactites. The boss character is named either Devil Pole or Devil Pole. I don't know how it's pronounced. And he is a master of bojutsu, which is the martial art of stick fighting. Those little, those long rod thingies. Kind of okay. Kind of you remember the Star Wars kid meme from the late nineties? Think of one of yep. those, but without the little lasery things at the end. And once you get past that, you are in the final stage, the Dragon Ninja's headquarters. On this stage, you're going to encounter every kind of enemy you saw earlier in the game, including uh, wild dogs. Somehow they got into the headquarters. And uh, you have to fight off all of the previous boss characters again. Once you actually do defeat those previous boss characters, you're going to have a final battle, this time with Dragon Ninja himself, who is on a helicopter, which is just kind of hovering around, moving around a little bit. You're going to find yourself jumping on and off the helicopter, and if you do defeat the Dragon Ninja, the helicopter is going to land and the door will slide open, and then President Ronnie steps out. Now, there are going to be some spoilers here, but tough. This Uh-oh. game has been out for almost 34 years. You've had enough time. But some people might not have played it. Then they can skip ahead by about a minute and a half or so. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, this, is, this, this isn't live, unfortunately, or fortunately. So uh, after uh, President Ronnie steps out, then the scene cuts over to President Ronnie sitting behind a desk in some kind of late 70s, early 80s home office. You know it's a late 70s, early 80s home office because there's tan paneling on the wall. In this scene, he thanks you, and just like with uh, the bad dude's boss at the beginning of the game, text kind of appears to be typed on the screen. It says, hey dudes, thanks for rescuing me. Let's go for a burger, dot, dot, dot. Ha, 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 ha. Ha, 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 ha. It doesn't say, hey, dudes, thanks. It says, hey, dudes, thanks, comma, for rescuing me, period. Uh, Anyway, um, after that. Thanks for rescuing me. After that, there's a scene that cuts over to the White House, or White House, as it says earlier, with President Ronnie and a huge crowd of guys who are wearing navy blue suits. And at that point, the game's credits roll. And at the end of the roll, you have this message. Glad to see you. How you enjoyed the game. Watch out Data East's new games to come. Watch out for snakes. Huh. And that's Bad Dudes versus Dragon Ninja. New, more Data East games to come. That reminds me of the um, more battle scenes uh, coming in uh, Space Harrier. 
Remind me, I, I I don't remember. I didn't like that game, and I don't really remember. It was uh, after that you was died. About. It said it said something like more uh, more battle scenes are coming soon, or something like that. Go back hmm. and listen to our Space Harrier episode. Yeah, yeah, and I was the one covering Space Harrier, wasn't yes, I? Yes, you was. <laughs> yeah, I, I did not like anyway. So that was uh, Bad Dudes versus Dragon Ninja. Uh, Jimmy G, I'll let you uh, have a chance to talk now because I've been talking a lot. What What are your thoughts, observations, etc.? Well, first of all, the first place I ever played uh, Bad Dudes versus Dragon Ninja, I was a bad enough dude to play it at the uh, Aladdin's Castle at the Louis Joliet Mall. Aha. Uh-huh. And, um, I mean, the game is all right. It's nothing spectacular. It's not great. It's not bad. It is what it is. It's just a mindless beat 'em up. It's uh it's a little silly, it's a little fun. You know, it's kind of like smack in the middle for me as far as games go. It's more me- remembered for well, I'm not going to go into that. <laughs> Were you th- you thinking about the uh are you a bad enough dude meme? Yeah. But the one thing about this game, it is very reminiscent of RoboCop. Hmm. But of course, the reason for that is that was a Data East game as all as well, course, and I bet yeah. they were using the same engine. And, but uh, it, it seemed like, a, especially the first level, seemed a lot like the RoboCop arcade game. But uh-huh. um, yeah, it's yeah, I don't, it's fine. It does what it does. It does good, but it's it's not spectacular. I'll play it from time to time, hmm. but you know, it's not a go-to for me. Sure, I can see that. Uh, I have a couple of observations I want to share, unless you want to share further. Please. No, I think okay. I'm done with I think I'm done. Okay, well, first of all, uh, there's a little video game physics I want to talk about here. Oh, no. Yep. Cue it. It's time for another edition of Video Game Physics. In today's observation of video game physics, we see something that's actually very common to many video games, but it was just really noticeable to me this time around for some reason, and that's that enemies in Bad Dudes versus Dragon Ninja are immune to all objects thrown by enemies. If an enemy throws an object, everybody's immune to it except your character. And basically the two bad dudes, your character or your partner's character. Interesting how that works. Hmm. Was that for let's okay, it's possibly more anatomy and physiology, but the thing is for physiology to exist, there has to be physics. So there we go. And something else that I want to address here is double standards, more double standards here. Something that I noticed, if an enemy jumps on you, either from above or below, you lose a hit point. But Mm -hmm. if you do the same, you land on top of an enemy or under an enemy by jumping from above or below, you still lose a hit point. WT frack. Hmm. Whether you're the attacker or the attackee, you get a hit point. Huh. It's kind of like how uh, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this. Thankfully, I I can't relate to it personally, but it happens all the time, or at least happened all the time. Back when uh, we were little tykes, you get punched in the face in school, mm-hmm. and somebody sees it happen, like a teacher or the principal or something, you still get in trouble, even if you're the, the, the one who got hit, because in their eyes, you were fighting. So that's probably what that's related to. I don't know. And also... There is some serious toxic masculinity in this game. Well, come on. Yeah, I mean, look when it was released. I Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's a sign of the times, I think. And it seemed to me that Blade and Striker, their primary concern wasn't so much rescuing the president as it was being bad. I'm bad. I'm bad. I mean, 
I, I don't know. Toxic mess. Maybe I'm just a little, I have heightened sensitivity over the years, but come on, man. Now, the other thing I wanted to mention, and this is why I had to explain the layout of the pairs of buttons, how they're mm-hmm. kind of at weird positions. When I did my first playthrough and I was playing this at Underground Retrocade, I noticed that when I moved the joystick to the left, I would end up kind of moving to the left and then crouching at the same time. And it was very difficult to play. And um, if you remember back to episode nine, when we had Scott Lambert as our guest, yeah. he is the proprietor of Underground Retrocade. Mm-hmm. He actually said that he wants to know if there are any machines that aren't working as expected because uh-huh. he wants to make sure everything's nice. And, and in right. fact, sure, sure. That's a general rule anywhere. Right. If you're ever at an arcade and the machine's not working as it should be, you let somebody know there. In mm-hmm. fact, at uh, the place in Portland, a uh, ground and then with a K control, to they actually time. have, shut up. <laughs> they actually have like little suggestion boxes placed in various uh, parts of the arcade. Now that's with a, a good sign, idea. With a sign there that says, is there a game that's not working? Please let us know. Write it down on this piece of paper. Uh, say, say what the problem is. And we'll fix it ASAP. So that's, that's cool. A, that's a really good idea. So yeah, after I played, uh, after I played a complete run through of bad dudes using a crap ton of continues. In fact, I lost track. I was going to see if I could use an entire admissions worth of continues, which would mm-hmm. be 60 tokens, essentially, or 60 quarters. I went straight down to the desk, and I reported the problem to Scott. I said, "This, I think the joystick's sticky. I think it needs, like, a cleanup or something, because it's acting sure. kind of weird. And he said, where were you standing? Because you have to stand in a certain way when you play that game. Hmm. You actually have to stand at an angle. You cannot stand completely perpendicular really? to the screen. Yeah. That's weird. You have to stand so that the buttons are completely parallel to you. Because if you That's stand weird. perpendicular, you're actually playing the joystick as if it's rotated about 30 degrees. And and that's not a game like say Gauntlet or uh, exactly or, like it, or, or Simpsons where you have to stand on an angle. Yeah, because it's on a standard rectangular panel. Right. It's not angled in any way, so it's only the only visual representation of it is the way the buttons are laid out. That's weird. So you have to stand a little bit angled huh. to be able to move properly. Uh-huh. Sure enough, I w- uh, I didn't try it that time, but the next time I went to Underground Retrocade after that, I tried that. Sure AF. It worked perfectly fine when I stood that way. Hmm. So you have to stand at an angle. But again, make sure make sure that your pairs of buttons are parallel to you. Then it'll play normally. I got to ask, uh, do you think this is a game that could be one CC'd? Honestly, I was thinking about that. And if you know about that, then yeah, I really think it can be. I, I was thinking about that because be. unlike, it's not... It's difficult, but it's not blazingly difficult like no. some fight and go right. No, it's not. In fact, I was thinking about that because when I actually realized it, when I was when I actually learned that you have to stand at the correct angle to do it, the game was hella easier. Mm-hmm. It really was. And I think, okay, this is actually pretty playable. I made it through a couple of stages before I lost all my lives, and I was like, oh my good, this. And I was thinking this might actually be very one cable. There are much harder games that people have one CC'd. Mm-hmm. And those of you who don't know what we mean, we mean uh, basically uh, finishing the game with just one credit and that's it. No continues. I forgot what the actual abbreviation stands for. Uh, Jimmy G, did you know that there are home versions of Bad Dudes versus Dragon Ninja? Why well, do tell. Oh, okay. 
There are home versions for the ZX Spectrum, the Commodore 64, the Commodore Amiga. Well, um, I do believe also the SCOM Amiga. Wait, or was it, did SCOM put out the Amiga after Commodore went belly up? Or is that somebody, I don't remember. But whoever made the Amiga after the Commodore went belly up, it'll work on that too. Uh, The NES, the uh, MS-DOS, Amstrad CPC, Apple II, the Zeebo. Have you ever heard of the Zeebo? No. Yeah, that is a console that came out in uh, the late 2000s, I think in South America, maybe Africa too, but uh, it came out for that and the Nintendo Switch, and I'm thinking, um, I I was too lazy. How do you spell that? T-H-A-T. But how do you spell Zebo? Z E E B O. Oh, actually, no. In the in the lands where it actually was released, it would be Z E E B O. Oh, two E's. Or would it be Z Ed Ed B O? I, I don't know. But I, I'm wondering if that and the Nintendo Switch versions are actually uh, just the arcade versions, kind of. It, it says here emulated. According to Wikipedia, the Zebo is a 3G enabled entertainment and education yes. system. Yes. Huh. Zebo. This thing. Wait, isn't that oh, like wow. a, a that weird animal? That like a neat system. Huh. It's got a neat uh, form factor. It's probably the modern era's Acorn Archimedes. It's probably a really, really amazing system that no one's ever heard of. Yeah. So There also is kind of, sort of, a sequel to Bad Dudes vs. Dragon Ninja. Oh. Uh, there's, a, there's a game called 2TWO Crude, uh, known in other places as Crude Busters, I think. And it takes place 23 years after Bad Dudes vs. Dragon Ninja. It's uh, not a true, true, true sequel, but it's more of a spiritual sequel. It's also done mm-hmm. by Data East. And Pinstripe Games actually tried unsuccessfully to crowdfund an official sequel to uh, bad dudes they did that about uh, eight years ago i think and they didn't raise the funds unfortunately or fortunately depending on your thoughts on the game oh i'm just looking up the stuff here on this zebo console and uh, it only lasted two years uh from 2009 to 2011 and uh it was founded by ronaldo normand in 2008 working on a prototype devised by dave durnell and a business plan by mike yuen at qualcomm Company's stated intention was to create an affordable console with inexpensive games and educational content delivered by wireless digital distribution to circumvent piracy. Doesn't use DVDs or cartridges, uh, games and other content are downloaded wirelessly over broadband cellular networks. In addition to games, Zebo system also provides internet connectivity, enabling users to access educational and informational content, communicate via email, and do social networking. And, uh, yeah, it was for, uh, targeted at developing markets such as Brazil and Mexico. So hmm. kind of a neat, actually little, neat little idea, but sh- other companies have probably done better. But the fact that it's got the 3G enabled wireless in it is uh, yeah. very interesting. That's I want to read cool. up more about this. This looks yeah. interesting. Do indeed. Hey, uh, uh, Jim there. Um, yes. When did you first see and or play Bad well, News versus Dragon Ninja? I did mention that already. But oh, I did see it. Yeah. I'll, I'll mention it again. It was at the Louis Joliet Mall at Latin's Castle. Yeah, I probably saw it there too. This thing was ubiquitous when it, it was, was out. Yes, like, this one, if there this, was a place that had multiple arcade games, this was there. This was definitely in the mix. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I never actually played it until, um, like, I think December when I went to Underground Retrocade, <laughs> and then January when I went. Or actually, no, November and November and December. That's right. Because mm-hmm. I didn't go in January yet. Yes, and that's when I played it, way back in the Ferg. Or oh, yeah. day, as we can say now. That's right, that's right. He's Yeah, there's a uh, 
Yeah. Anyway, that's that's neither here nor there. Well, it's there, actually. It's uh, Fergus Podcast, which you should listen to, uh, 2600 Game by Game Podcast. Yes, you should. Uh, God, we should re- I really need to put a link to that in our we- on our website, a permanent link to that. And uh, do it Some now. other friends. I, I can't do it now. It requires coding. Coding? Code- well, you know what? I got some cough syrup here with coding in it. Yeah, toss that over. Can you, okay. can you send you it go. through? Uh, can you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let me wash it down here. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, I'll talk about some high scores. Uh, Speaking tw- of coding. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So Twin Galaxies, they track both one player and two player. Uh, for one player, there is a two-way tie between two people that I know and at least one that you know, oh. Pete Hahn and Jamie Tibbetts. Uh, ah. Pete Hahn submitted his score on October 16th, 2015, which was 999,999. Same score that Jamie Tibbetts got on March 26th, 2017. Or at least that's when they submitted. I don't know when they actually played it. And by the way, they also have the two-player Twin Galaxies record. With Jamie Tibbetts playing as Blade, Jamie scored 433,400. And Pete Hahn was striker, and Pete scored 811,000. So that's a combined score of 1,244,400. And that was submitted to Twin Galaxies on March 24th, 2017. Now, here's the thing. Orcade.com has Pete achieving that 999,999 score on February 13th, and uh, Jamie getting that same score on March 13th, 2015. They also list John Snavely uh, scoring that same score, pardon the redundancy, on September 3rd, 2018, which uh, trivia for music buffs, that was uh, Al Jardine's 76th birthday. Ah. Arcade.com has the same two-player record that Twin Galaxies has, but we know that they played the game on March 23rd, 2017. So there we go. Any questions? Yeah, you in the back. Yeah, um, if a train leaving Pittsburgh at 9 a.m. travels west at 24 miles an hour and an airplane leaves San Francisco bound for Mars at 3.50 a.m., what's the capital of Vermont? Thank you, but that is not a question. That is a question. What is the capital of Vermont? No, it's not. That's an exclamation. I saw your script. You put an exclamation point at the end of that, so that's not a question. So you were telling me that the capital of Vermont is what? Um, anyway, moving on. I has a uh, sad. We also heard, you know, uh, actually, before we even get into that, uh, you want to discuss how, how you rate Bad News vs. Dragon Ninja on our 1 through 5 continue scale and inclusive, of course. Well, based on everything I've said, I am rating it a 3. Mm-hmm. Based on everything I said, I do not like fight and go right games. I really don't. But the thing is, I kind of like this one. Uh-huh. I, I really do. It's it is kind of a typical fight and go. But the thing is, it doesn't seem to be unreasonable. It's very yeah. playable. Uh, it's maybe not the most enjoyable thing in the world for me, but it's very playable. Uh, I'm still only going to give it a three quite simply because it's one of those games that once I play, I don't really need to go back and play it. But it's actually pretty cool. Uh, one other reason that I can't give it a four is because even though it has some really nice graphics and animation, uh, the perspective I noticed on the animation isn't that hmm. great because oh. objects that are pretty close to the foreground and uh-huh. objects that are pretty far from the foreground all move at the same speed, which is not uh-huh. the way visual perspective works, of course. Another video game physics thing. Could be, yeah. 
or it could just be the for this particular game itself. True. There True. we go. So, um, having said that, we both gave our uh, ratings for this. Why don't we go back to uh, Eugenio? Why don't we? And see what he has to say about the games we talked about for this episode. Edition. This edition. Since we're talking about Zero Wing, let's. Uh, what does he say about Zero Wing? Well, for Zero Wing, there's no H in Wing. I've never seen this game nor played it. I know there is a version of the game for the Sega Mega Drive. It was never officially brought to the U.S. market, though a limited release was made by Retrobit. Good call. After watching some videos, this game does look like something I may like, so I'll see if I can give find it to give it a try. The cool think think I learned is that the Mega Drive version has an, <laughs> an opening movie that features the alien cyborg cats but it seems the words are so poorly translated that it makes the whole intro sequence rather funny. This version also has a true ending that lets the player defeat the final boss, something that cannot be done in the arcade version. Huh. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. I might as well read Bad Dudes. It's only a couple of lines. Yeah, yeah I've been talking about uh, Bad a lot. Dudes, this will be brief. This is not a game I've ever played. Looks <laughs> kind of cool. I know there's an NES version, so I'm going to give that one a try. Not sure of, of how good it is, but it does look pretty good. Hopefully the gameplay is also good. So that's all for today. Going to the Final Frontier, gaming. Gaming, yes. Something I actually did since the last episode besides going to an arcade to do our research. I'm so happy that I actually did get to do some gaming. I played some Atari yes. stuff. I played mm-hmm. some ColecoVision stuff. And I'm 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 happy. It's no I didn't play a lot, but hey, it was worth reporting on. Mm-hmm. So yep. I, I I was kind of yep. joining Eugenio for a very brief time in a way. So spiritually at least. Yes. And uh, we both did get over to uh, Galloping Ghost uh, yes, for once. Yeah. And uh, what game, there was one game I was playing. That, uh, what, what the hell game was I God, playing? I hadn't I was, been to Galloping Ghost in over a year. And... I was kind of disappointed. The uh, There was a problem with the, the joystick on the sit-down Cinestar. I was a little disappointed yeah. with that. But, you know, again, it's a huge arcade. And yeah, they have they like got eight, so many what, machines. 856, I think. And so and very few people to actually to work on them. That's not a criticism. Yeah. That's a fact. That's a fact. Yeah. There's only so much they can do given the manpower they have. But uh, yeah, and, and and Doc has a lot going on. He has he owns like half a Brookfield by now. I think. Well, it certainly seems like it. It's only going to be a matter of weeks before there, we start hearing of the Galloping Ghost Zoo. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. He's going to probably buy out White Castle. No, there's that. That's not in Brookfield. That's in Lagrange. That's French for the Grange, by the way. Oh, well. Yeah. The more you know. Indeed. So shall we uh, reveal the uh, the thematic theme yeah, of the theme you, thing? Yeah, could you please reveal the thematic theme of the theme, please? Yes. Uh, that would be, these are games that have become part of internet culture, what with with bad dudes, which I was doing some research on that, and I found that those memes kind of peaked around 2005. Yeah. And then with uh, Zero Wing, uh, everyone knows all your base are belong to us. That was in the home version. I do like somebody set up us the bomb better, though. I, you know, I do like that. <laughs> what say you? <laughs> you have no chance to survive, make your time, so. Having said that, I just I just want to disclaim something. I, I do feel that I'm speaking for the both of us here. It is amusing, but the thing is, let's face it, like these games were programmed by people whose first language was most definitely not English. Oh, definitely. And English is a difficult AF language to learn. 
I remember back when I was still teaching test prep, I, there were students I had who said they'd only been speaking English for two years. And I said, you are effing kidding me. You speak it so well. I think that if English is not your first language and you're able to have any kind of conversation with it, you are a freaking genius. So we kind of got to be a little bit understanding with this weird, uh, as they call it, English stuff. But of course, you know, it is amusing. Let's because we're just so used yeah. to. It. We've been Jimmy G and I have been speaking English all our lives, Poorly. at least since we've been able to talk. I should say. So mm-hmm. of course it's going to be amusing. Oh god, I have to post a picture of a sign from a cleaner that was uh, down the street for by like two or three miles down the street from me. Uh, unfortunately, they changed ownership and the uh, sign is no longer there, but. Oh my God, it is such a classic sign. Oh, I'll, have to, I'll post a picture of that for all to see, but probably on the social medias because it's easier to do that than in the show notes, but uh, at piefactorypodcast.com. But yeah, I, I just want to say, hey, we, we understand. Yeah, this, this amusing stuff, we're trying, we're not, we're not trying to be insensitive, hurtful you people. Know, we just, funny it's is just funny. You know, yeah, period. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we, no harm we is feel meant. for them. No harm is meant uh, either on our side or their side, of but course. Let's put it this way, too. You know when an American tries to pronounce something in uh, another language or try oh, to yeah. say something, say, like, in Japanese or whatever, you know they're laughing at us for, oh, I hope uh, so. for our horrible command of the language, too. I hope so. so. Yeah. I, I, I have a feeling that's just an international, more universal thing than uh, we give it credit for being. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, and I'd I, be worried if they didn't laugh at how badly we speak foreign languages, because quite frankly, Americans suck at it. Yeah, really. I would love to learn Spanish. The problem, and I really want, I'm, I'm really hoping to someday. The problem is I'm always going to have an accent because I cannot do the, the role and the R. I can't. I do have to say, though, that our friend Andrew yeah. speaks Mandarin pretty well from what That's I understand. That's right. Yeah, yeah, he does. Yeah. Last time I saw him when he was in town a few years ago, we went to uh, a Big Bowl downtown, which is a kind of a Chinese, I think it's a Chinese fusion kind of place. Uh, downtown Chicago or downtown Joliet? Downtown Chicago. Okay. Downtown Joliet doesn't have anything. Are you kidding me? It's got a casino. But, and the way he was ordering, the way he was pronouncing things, I was like, oh, look at you, Mr. Chinese man. <laughs> He's done a lot of studying of Chinese. Yeah. This, oh, by the way, he was a guest once on our BBS episode. So, yeah. Oh, he was, wasn't he? Yeah. And by the way, we really should just wrap it up. But before we do, and before we talk about the games we're going to talk about next episode, uh, I, I want to offer a sincere thank you to the following people who have been uh, really generous to us over Patreon. And I'd like to offer an insincere thank you. Yes, indeed. So thank you to Kevin Bean, Retro eh. Game Club Podcast, Rory the Charles Coleman, Daniel Chavez. I don't think there's a Charles in there. Mike Hat and Jay. I don't think that's his real name, by the way. Oh, well. Uh, Mark Super, Timmy Mack, Lance Endries, Air Shack. I know that Air Shack is his real name. He showed me his birth certificate. Uh, Christian Williams, Kurt Musgrave, New Balance Stores, Phoenix. Oh, that's got to be a fake name. Uh, uh, thank you also to Richard Grounds, PJ Steele, D. Alex, Atari Bites Podcast, uh, Art Guglielmo, the SNES Podcast. Thank you, Greg. Nate Lockhart, Richard Valdez, Keith Sheehan, and, of course, Underground Retrocade. You know, I have actually heard that uh, New Balance Stores, uh, Phoenix, is actually a fast food restaurant. Huh, yeah, okay. it's a fast food joint. Yeah, uh, nice. I think it's a McDonald's franchise, actually. Interesting. Yeah, don't let okay. the name fool you. 
Okay. God, I was already fooled. But anyway, yeah, thank you guys. And just to, an update, those of you who didn't see uh, the previous month's income from Patreon went straight to NAMI St. Louis, basically to help them with their mental services that people undoubtedly need after the uh, the tragic storms that had, that had happened over there. That was so, those storms were so weird and unprecedented for December. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember, yeah. though, though that was a, just a week or so before Christmas. Uh, a couple of years ago, we had some tornadoes run through the towns down by me, uh, Cold oh, wow. City, Illinois, uh, just a week before Thanksgiving. So, yeah. 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 Good so Lord. it's, uh, it's getting weird out there, folks. All right. So, anyway, guys, thank you. Well, I, I don't know. I think some of these might be women. Like, actually, no, I think they're all guys, actually. <laughs> uh, but anyway, thank you all for, for, donating to us, which in turn got donated over to a very, very worthy cause. Yes. Uh, Jim, what games are we going to talk about for episode 128, hopefully? Well, we are going to talk about Three Stooges and oh. Splat. Oh, I hope they're Joe, Curly Joe, and Shemp. Oh, oh gosh, yes. <laughs> uh, actually, Shemp's not. Actually, I kind of like Shemp. Anyway. You know what? Um, be, well, I'll, I'll save it for the next episode. Okay. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Let's let's not go off on that tangent. But uh, anyway, yeah. Uh, uh, Jimmy G, thank you so much for uh, doing this episode and uh, well, for allowing you. me to be part of it. Uh, and uh, this is Sean. Oh, oh, we, we're in a new year now, which means I have to come up with a new sign-off technique. Yeah. Rather unfortunate timing that I chose last year to use Monkey's song titles. And of course, I used a Michael Nesmith song title as a, a, a song that he wrote for the monkeys as oh, my sign off for the last episode. Random stuff from Inspirobot. I think that was yours and mine was going to be a chemical element. Ah, okay. So, well, we'll go ahead and sign off. All right. So, uh, this is Sean. I'll talk to you again later. So, until next time, Wolfram, also known as Tungsten. And as for mine, your time on Earth is interesting. Indeed. Indeed. And support your local arcade. This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening and closing theme is The Happy L composed by Sean Courtney. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on piefactorypodcast.com. Support the show at patreon.com slash piefactorypodcast. Uh, Jimmy G, did you know that there are home versions of Bad Dudes vs. Dragon Ninja? Why do tell? Oh, okay. Well, there are home versions. <coughs> excuse me. Take Ooh. two. Well, there are home versions what for the console Z. What is that for? <laughs> uh, excuse me. Oh, take three. What happened? Someone set up a bond. We get signal. What? Main screen turn on. It's you. How are you, gentlemen? All your base are belong to us. You are on the way to destruction. What you say? You have no chance to survive late your time. Ha ha ha. Today.